0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show, we talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart.
1: Hey, get your popcorn ready.
0: NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello,
2: welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. On today's podcast, we're going to be joined by Peter King from the MMQB.com and Falcons broadcaster West Durham but let's kick off the podcast with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network.
0: Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the wrap sheet on the NFL on TuneIn.
2: Ian, as always we appreciate the time. What can you tell us about Aaron Rodgers broken collarbone and do you think the Packers would have any interest in Colin Kaepernick? Uh
3: first of all on Aaron Rodgers, you know, obviously it's a serious injury. I mean it was it was noteworthy when the Packers announced it, which they did mid-game, by the way, after the X-Rays came back, you know, it was noteworthy when they said pretty quickly that he may miss the season. You know, these – so it's very clear one thing. Uh, He's going on injured reserve. That probably happens on Monday. Joe Callahan, the backup quarterback, um, is probably going to be promoted from the practice squad. Uh, And they're going to go from there. I mean, could Rodgers come back later in the year? You know, if he doesn't have surgery, it's theoretically a possibility. Uh, if he does have surgery, then he's done, and then he starts preparing for 2018. Uh, as, far, as far as Colin Kaepernick, uh, I don't see it. You know, they very quickly said that uh, Brett Hunley is their quarterback and uh, Joe Callahan is their backup. You know, I don't see, barring anything unforeseen, I do not see the Packers going in that direction.
4: And Joe Flacco has struggled with consistency a lot this year, and the Ravens have been waiting for Bashard Pearman uh, their former first-round draft choice to really show some signs and earn uh, that top spot, but again, he leaves uh, the game against the Bears uh, early. Uh, what can you tell us about the injury that he sustained in that game?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I think you know, Perriman, first of all, is a uh, it, it's it's a frustrating situation for the Ravens, no doubt about it, because you know, obviously, there's there's a ton of talent, and uh, he's. He's got a lot of speed, he's a playmaker, and, and, you know, they've been waiting. Uh, But right now, you know, he came into the game with a nagging injury, ended up playing even though it was questionable, uh, and then he goes out today with a concussion. And part of the problem with concussion is there's no estimate as far as when a guy might be back. You know, it's it's really when he clears the protocol, and now the Ravens find themselves at a time when they need offensive weapons, they find themselves waiting for him
2: again, uh, which has been the story too often. Taking you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, now that Navarro Bowman has been released by the 49ers, how many teams could be interested in signing him?
3: Uh, a lot of teams. Uh, you know, first of all, uh, there, there's certainly been some interest. I know some of the linebacker needy teams like the Saints, uh, the Ravens were another one. I know they, you know, reached out to the 49ers about potentially trading for him. Uh, I'm told that the Oakland Raiders are expecting a visit from Navarro Bowman and, you know, drive on over there just across the bay. Uh, they have such a need at linebacker, I think that would make a lot of sense. You know, and usually in the free agency when you when you make the if if taking the physical is not a thing, if that's not a concern for Bowman, it would be a, only only a slight concern. Then so many times um, you know, the first visit usually gets it done. It remains to be seen whether the Raiders can, but their interest level is high and I know that it's mutual.
4: Ian, this Detroit Lions team uh, really hinges on the player at the quarterback position with Matthew Stafford. We saw several guys on the defensive side of the ball go out the game, and we also saw Matthew Stafford, who came in the game dealing with an ankle injury. Uh, There was a, a moment on the sideline. I saw him, you know, wincing and pretty much putting his hand on his midsection. I mean, is it a case of broken ribs or just the fact of just being battered and bruised because... You play the physical New Orleans Saints defense.
3: Yeah, it seems like it's uh, more of just being battered and bruised. You know, he came into the game with a a hamstring injury. He had an ankle injury. And he's sort of underratedly mobile. um, And coming in and not being able to be as mobile as he usually is really made him get hit a lot more. Um, The other part of this thing is, so I think Stafford will be okay. But the other part of this thing is the Saints actually, I mean, they gave up a lot of points today, but they made a ton of plays. And we're not used to the Saints making a lot of plays, uh, certainly on defense. If that's going to be the case, it really changes the season for them because all of a sudden, their defense is okay. They got a chance. They really do.
2: And I know you're not a constitutional lawyer, but you're getting well-versed in the legal. How do you know that? Where do things stand with (laughs) Ezekiel Elliott's legal case in the wake of his suspension?
3: (laughs) Uh, They stand in a different place than they were a couple days ago. Because right now, if there was no more legal situation, he would officially be suspended. He went from not being suspended and waiting for an outcome to being suspended and needing the court to step in and change it. He's going to hear from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals this week whether or not they decide to do an en banc hearing, in other words, a hearing in front of all the judges. If they take it on, then they have to decide, do they reinstate the injunction? And basically, do they put him back in the field? Right now... He's suspended. If there's no ruling by next week, he's not going to play. That's a very different situation than he was in originally.
2: Well done, Counselor. Ian, always a pleasure. We'll chat with you on Wednesday on NFL No <laughs> Huddle.
3: All right. Sounds good, Then Take care.
0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Tune in puts you on the sidelines for the 2017 college football season free all year long. With college football on TuneIn, hear the home and away calls for more than 100 schools live. Regular season matchups and rivalry games. Conference championships and bowl games. The college football playoff in January. You can listen to it all for free. At home, on campus, or in rival territory. Hear the excitement and pageantry of college football all season long. Free on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's go round the league with Peter King from the MMQB.com.
0: Now it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn.
2: Peter, always a pleasure. Let's start with the report that Colin Kaepernick has filed a collusion grievance against the NFL. I know a little bit about baseball history, so I recall there was a finding of collusion by NFL, rather baseball owners, years ago when it came down to tamping down salaries in free agency. In general, how difficult is it to prove collusion in professional sports?
5: Uh, I mean, you have to find a smoking gun. And to find a smoking gun, I think, would require uh, multiple teams to, uh, who would say, essentially, yes, we talked among ourselves and we said, hey, don't sign Kaepernick. I mean, I, I just simply don't believe stuff like that happens. Uh, this is too competitive a league. I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I can't say for sure that it doesn't happen. But I think this is, you know, just at first blush, it sounds like it is uh, a very, very frustrated player, and rightfully so, a very, very frustrated player who's angry that uh, he can't get signed uh, because he clearly is one of the best 64 quarterbacks uh, professionally alive, and he's not getting a chance to prove that.
4: Nick Ferguson here, you know, when we think about Mitchell Trubisky, and I know there was a lot of uh, conversation coming into today's game. Last game he didn't perform uh, that well, but today he gets his first win of the season against uh, the Ravens. Is this more about, uh, Peter, is this more about Joe Flacco's struggles or the emergence of Mitchell Trubisky?
5: Oh, I mean, I watched a lot of that game today. This is no <laughs> great shining moment for Trubisky, in my opinion. Uh, it's, it, you know, this game, it was such a strange ball game. It really was. I thought the play of the game was Adrian Amos's 90-yard return for, uh, you know, for a, for, for, a, for a touchdown on an interception because, to me, What this meant, or what this said to me, honestly, this game, it just said to me that, first of all, Trubisky's got a long way to go, especially he's got a long way to go uh, when he doesn't have a good receiving crew right now. And and I also think what it says is that, I mean, essentially, when you look at what happened in this game, I mean, it was one of those things that almost whoever has the ball last is going to win. And, you know, this is a Jordan Howard uh, Chicago defense game, I think, much more than it was a Mitchell Trubisky game.
2: Taking you around the league with Peter King from the MMQB. Peter, you know the culture of the Giant organization well as we get set for Sunday Night Football. Winless Giants taking on the Broncos. Ben McAdoo's job will be evaluated in the offseason. Do you think he gets any latitude now based on all the injuries being a factor as well?
5: He might. Uh, And I'm sure that they will consider everything. But I think what John Mara basically is going to do at the end of this year is he's going to say, not, well, we had a lot of injuries and I love this guy. I think it's more like, uh, is this guy, has has he shown enough signs to bring us out of this funk that we got into and simply could not get out of? Uh, I mean, look, in my opinion, there's a lot about Ben McAdoo that I would like, if I were John Mara, to have clarified before I want to go with him into the future. I mean, you know, does he have, you know, the unwavering respect of the guys in the locker room? I'm not sure that he does. And so I think that is one of the things that you have to find out before you commit to McAdoo. And look, you know, the one other thing is, I, I'm, I'm not saying that he and Jerry uh, he and Jerry Reese are a you know are a you know an item together, but I am saying that I think Jerry Reese is going to get judged at the end of this year too because I mean clearly it looks like just looks like you know last season was the exception that this season isn't the exception it looks like last year
4: was Peter. Let's, let's look at Minnesota Vikings' situation, their quarterback situation. Uh, Case Keenum has come in in relief of uh, Sam Bradford, and he's played uh, pretty decent. Uh, go back to the Tampa Bay game when he, he tossed three touchdown passes. Uh, Sam, Sam Bradford, you know, has been having trouble with his knees. Hasn't really been health, healthy since entering the league. You have right. Teddy Bridgewater. He's coming back off of injury. What's in the cards for Mike Zimmer and trying to figure out this whole quarterback carousel?
5: Um, in my opinion, Nick, I think that this is why you wait till the end of this season. It's impossible on October 15th to say what the Vikings are going to do with their quarterbacks at the end of this year. It's absolutely impossible because, you know, first of all, I would anticipate that Teddy Bridgewater is going to play maybe six or eight games this year. They need to find out not just – they need to not only win as many games as they can, they have to find out – what quarterback they're going to commit to after this season. I mean, Sam Bradford is probably the richest injury-prone athlete other than Joel Embiid in sports history. <laughs> I mean, think about it. I mean, he's, he, you know, and again, I thought this was the year where he would shake that. Phil Sims had season-ending injuries in four of his first five years in the league. Isn't it funny now to think back as Phil Sims uh, uh, Think back uh, when you think of Phil Sims as anything other than an Iron Man. Well, he wasn't an Iron Man his first five years. So I thought this was the year that Sam Bradford would begin to shake that that label, but obviously not.
2: We'll see if Case Keenum can be a modern day Jeff Hosteller. Peter, let's wrap it up with what's coming up this week. NFL owners having their quarterly meetings on Tuesday. Could there be immediate action related to the national anthem? I,
5: I, I don't know how uh, Roger Goodell is going to get, uh, get agreement on everything. I mean, I talked to one uh, very high club official this past week who said that, he said, look, there are so many wildcat people around this league, both players and, look, you got Jed York with the 49ers. You guys can do whatever you want you got Jerry Jones, you know, with the Cowboys. Everybody on this team is going to stand. So, I mean, you know, I I don't know how you make a policy that then tells Eric Reed and his friends with the 49ers who feel, you know, this kinship with Colin Kaepernick, how are you going to tell them you can't kneel anymore? I mean, how are you going to do that? And then how are you going to tell uh, other activist players in this league Here's what you have to do now. The only way out of it, at least in my opinion, is if you can find a solution that the players in this league would agree to and would say, essentially, they would say, hey, you know, we want for the long-term future to put the following civil rights programs in place in the NFL and our communities. And if teams can agree on that, if players can agree on that, then it can happen. I just, I don't see it happening in the span of a day and a half uh, when the owners meet in New York this week.
2: Peter, as always, we value the insights. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll chat with you on Tuesday on NFL No Huddle.
6: Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to NFL No
6: Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Today's newest stars and emerging talent stop by TuneIn for intimate one-on-one interviews. I'm Anthony Valadez. Listen to my hang with Brooklyn singer-songwriter Nick Hakim as he discusses his local music scene, bands to be on the lookout for, and his appreciation for Apple. I'm listening to a lot of my friends like Norvis Jr., like John Bat, Big Thief, like all these other bands that I really love. And uh, I don't know, there's this guy Lil' Jimmy Scott that I like a lot that we listen to, that I make people listen to on the road. Search Sessions, exclusively on TuneIn. This
0: is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on the Falcons with Wes Durham, radio voice of the Atlanta Falcons. Wes, we appreciate you taking the time. So Atlanta appeared to have a commanding lead at 17 nothing. In your view, what changed?
7: Oh, I think, number one, Brian, uh, they couldn't slow down Jay Ajayi in the second half, to be honest with you. I, I think they got... Uh, Miami lined up in unbalanced formation quite a bit. They went to a three-tight end package, and Ajayi was clearly a guy on second down that would uh, that would get him six, seven yards. I mean, he finished I think 22 carries, 130 some yards, and and he made them all count. They dominated time of possession in the second half. At one point, I think they had run 20 plays to Atlanta's three in the third quarter. And, uh, you know, from that point on, Atlanta started playing uphill a little bit. The Dolphins took the opening kick of the second half, went down the field, a long drive, scored. Atlanta then went three and out. Miami took the ball right back. And then Atlanta really, you know, suffered today from a lot of unforced errors, be it they penalties, bad sloppy special teams play, things like that. And at the end, it uh, it got them. And uh, it's unfortunate, but, you know, this league is too good across the board to – to give a, a team free reps, and, and that's what Atlanta did in some respects today. Uh,
4: Wes, Nick Ferguson uh, here. Looking at this schedule for the Atlanta Falcons, and right now they're sitting at 3-2, and two. they could easily be 1-4 and four because they were in a close game against the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears. Where can this team go from here? Because coming into the season, everyone was wondering what was going to happen now that Kyle Shanahan was gone and Steve right. Sarkeesian is now the guy on the center. And this offense is used to scoring like 38 points a game.
7: Well, you know, Nick, the optimist in me or, or the guy maybe doing the Falcon games would tell you they're also, uh, you know, what, nine points from being 5-0 and oh too, you know. I mean, I understand that four of the five ball games have been relatively close shades in one respect or another, whether it's the three shots at the goal line that Mike Glennon in Chicago had, the reverse of the call in week three in Detroit, uh, the ball thrown behind Taylor Gabriel in uh, two weeks ago against Buffalo or even today, you know, the deflected ball that ultimately was intercepted. It's a ball Hooper thinks he said after the ball game, a ball he should have caught. You know, look, I think Atlanta is, is close. I think the this is more of a gut check by the guys in that locker room maybe than it is an X and O situation. Um, you know, do they need to be healthy? Absolutely. But everybody can say that. I, I think what they've got to do, believe it or not, is they have to create their own momentum. It's it's not about who they're playing as much as, you know, who they are playing, if that makes sense. And I, I think that's a big part of where this is now. The move from Kyle Shanahan to Steve Sarkeesian is a is a viable storyline, but I think when you really look at Atlanta, there, there are enough veteran pieces, particularly in the skill set, to say, hey, wait a second, this is more about the guy in the mirror as opposed to the guy on the, on the whiteboard maybe.
2: Chatting with Wes Durham from the Falcons Radio Network. Wes, how important was it to get Vic Beasley back from the hamstring injury,
7: and how did he look today? I thought he looked good, Brian. I think he was more on a pitch count than uh, than maybe we anticipated. Uh, they did use him in a, a front they put together today that had uh, Dontari Poe and Adrian Claiborne inside, and they put the rookie, Tack McKinley and Beasley, on the edges. They didn't get to Cutler like I thought they would, only because I think Miami – was able to run the ball more effectively, so therefore when Cutler was throwing the ball, it was a quick move and get it out. There wasn't a lot of deep drop stuff in Miami's arsenal today. But I think Beasley is as close to 100% as you're going to get him off the bye week and missing the two ball games uh, prior to. And you know you got to hope that uh, that each week he plays a little better he'll get, and and pretty soon he'll be back to the guy that was the leader in sacks a year ago.
4: You know, Wes, no Muhammad's new in today's game, and, and we're used to seeing Alex Smith – excuse me, not Alex Smith, Matt Ryan push the ball down the field vertically. Sure. He finds another offensive weapon in Marvin Hall. How impressed have you been with Marvin Hall And just maybe this one game, but what can he actually add moving forward to this offense?
7: Well, I'd say, you know, when your first career catches a 40-yard touchdown, you've probably done about as all you can do, right? I mean, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they activated him uh, the other day, and I think they activated him in part because they felt like they needed a guy who could get more vertical. And uh, and with Sanu being sidelined, you needed to be able to elevate Gabriel and some of these other guys into your into your receiving package. And they liked Hall in the preseason and in training camp. Guys, they they really liked him. Uh, I think he and Reggie Davis, the kid from Georgia, probably did as much to. Uh, uh, to put themselves in the mix, either practice squad or active roster for this football team. And so at the end of the day, I think when they brought Marvin Hall up, they had some certain shots maybe involved vertically. I tell you, the the receiving situation here is a matter of, of just developing more continuity. I, a lot of people made a lot of stuff about this week about Julio's not had a touchdown yet. And while that may be surprising, he still leads the team in catches. He's still the most impactful guy on the field from a throwing standpoint and he's taken practically two guys with him on every snap. So I think you saw Hooper's catches go up today. Gabriel certainly had a big day in Sanu's relief. And, Nick, as you mentioned, Marvin Hall is a guy who who can stretch the field. And I think he originally was with Oakland a year ago in camp, didn't make their roster. Uh, They saw something from him in a tryout here, got him on a futures deal, and uh, today he clearly paid off for them.
2: Wes, let's wrap it up with what's coming up. I know you never want to hear the score 28-3 to again, but how big is the week ahead for you and the organization? I know it's about the players. Heading back to New England for the Super Bowl rematch on Sunday.
7: Well, I don't know if they'll stick it up on the scoreboard like they did in week <laughs> one, huh? Uh, that didn't go so well the last time. You know, it's going to be interesting because this is the week that, that we all talked about in the off season. This is the week where everything's going to be hammered on your head. You know, I mean – and, and anybody that's played in this league, Nick, you know this. I mean, any time a scenario plays out like this, this is going to be like the water dripping on your forehead all week long. And so it'll be incumbent upon Dan Quinn and his guys to uh, to kind of silence the noise here a little bit and go up and play the Falcons. You know, and, and this may be, in some respects, Brian and Nick, the best thing ever to happen to this team because now people are not going to talk about maybe the Buffalo loss or the loss today to Miami. They're going to go back and dig up the first Sunday in February again, and uh, we're going to find out about the mental toughness of the 2017 Falcons. And every team's always a little different, but we're certainly going to find out what 17's got under the hood this week for sure. I think
2: Wes, always a pleasure. We appreciate you giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn.
7: Anytime, Brian. You you got your work cut out for you working with my man Nick now. So. I'm, I'm doing the <laughs> best I can, Wes. I'm doing the best guys, I can. Thank you, Wes. Hey, what's you gotta double down on
0: that. We'll see you guys soon. <laughs> You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Tune in puts you on the sidelines for the 2017 college football season free all year long. With college football on TuneIn, hear the home and away calls for more than 100 schools live. Regular season matchups and rivalry games. Conference championships and bowl games. The college football playoff in January. You can listen to it all for free. At home, on campus, or in rival territory. Hear the excitement and pageantry of college football all season long. Free on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on today's top stories with my NFL No Huddle co-host, Cordell Stewart. Partner AP looked good today. I'll give you that point.
8: He looked very, very, very good today. The thing was, when you watch what they were doing, when you watch the Arizona Cardinals, they made you understand what they were doing with AP, and that was running the football. That's why you saw the play-action pass. Larry Fitzgerald and company became open wide because it pulled those linebackers up, allowed them to have just just enough space in the red zone to be able to get the ball over the top. But I tell you, that's what he brings to the table when it comes down to being a part of the system. I mean, you heard Bruce Arians all week long basically saying that he was drawing a connection from what he was doing when he was in Minnesota and saying it was pretty similar to what they do there in Arizona and when watching him play. Honestly, um, not saying that you know this is what we're going to see for the rest of the year, but 23, 23 carries, for 130 yards, and two TDs uh, I thought was pretty darn good. It gave the other older guy at 34 years old, Larry Fitzgerald, an opportunity because of one-on-one coverages and maybe sticking the nose in the box a little bit too much by the linebackers and the safeties that allowed him to catch to have 10 catches for 138 yards in a TD. So this is what I was hoping for, and I think probably what Bruce Arians and his organization was thinking that they could get from uh, Adrian Peterson. And trust me, while it looked like it may have taken him a step and a half to get going, once he got going in the open space, guys were looking for him to run the football. I think the the, the play calling was good, and I think at the same time, you saw the energy from the other players on that football team. Offensive linemen, defensive players like Patrick Peterson, Larry Fitzgerald, and company all showed, showed their appreciation for Adrian Peterson being there and bringing that different temperament to the table, which I think resonated throughout the entire team, and I think that's why we saw them play so well today.
4: Uh, Cordell, sticking with that, let's stay out west here with the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, they've been really impressive uh, thus far this season. We've talked about it countless times. On this program, I know you guys have on No Huddle how important Sean McVay has been to the maturation process and maturity of Jared Goff, but they pull out a a big win here against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Is this a team that most teams at the beginning of the season didn't account for? Should they now start to look at this Rams team as being for real? Well, they have to. I mean, when you're capable of putting up the points that
8: they're capable of putting up. Uh, I know when you look at how they played last week, Uh, The numbers weren't the greatest, uh, but you got an opportunity, uh, I think, every single week, not just one or two weeks, not accidentally, you know, in spurts of the game, pretty much throughout the game, you see this team actually being able to put up 20-plus points, 25-plus points. Last week, they only were capable of putting up 10. That's an in-game rivalry, I would say, between them and uh, the Seattle Seahawks, and maybe even them and the, the Cardinals, because they know each other so well, but... This team is a team to be reckoned with, to go on the road in a hostile environment where a team is really hungry in the Jacksonville Jaguars in a sense of how they play, what they call them, Sacksville, uh, down there in Jacksonville, because they have, they bring so many uh, pressures from so many different angles, which causes them to be able to get the sacks they need to, to force teams to be out of down and distances, manageable down and distances. I saw a team that fought back and played really hard today. So all you can do is say, you know, this team is steadily getting better every week. They're answering answering the challenges every single week, and anytime you could have players like the Todd Gurley's of the world, it may be Woods or someone else that can actually touch the football 116 yards over 23 carries. I mean, what more can you say? I mean, people may say, "Well, Cordell, we need to see more." I said I was drinking the Kool Aid. I like what they're trying to do. I like I like what they're accomplishing. And last but not least, when you watch the young kid and Jared golf, he's really playing the kind of football they need him to play. But the best thing about him playing the way he's playing, he's getting the supporting cast starting with the coaches and also the same players that's been around him last year going out and producing and playing that type of football that allows them to win the way they are. Great defensive performance, special team solid. Jared Goff and company is playing some really good football right
2: now. I definitely have to highlight special teams. Farrow Cooper, kick return on the opening play of the game, took it the distance for a score, and the Rams also blocked a punt for a touchdown. Taking you around the league with Cordell Stewart, my co-host on NFL No Huddle. Join us tomorrow every weekday for Eastern for the best three hours of NFL conversation you're going to find any place. Cordell, I know we were trying to wrap up Friday's show with our picks quickly, but you might have heard me say, even though I was wrong about Adrian Peterson, Steelers were going to win today at Kansas City. Did we see the real Steelers show up in this victory?
8: Well, you know, sometimes when you play against some teams, you, you, you know you have their number, similar to Minnesota over the last few games. Unfortunately for Aaron Rodgers, he's not around. When you have a team's number, you know how to scheme against them. I think we had the opportunity to see uh, this team basically go out and I think just do what they normally have been doing in the past. We saw it happen in the postseason. We saw it happen in the regular season. The Steelers just have their number. You know one thing that we hadn't seen all year. You saw Pittsburgh Steelers team basically line up, and add a fullback to the mix uh, when it comes down to how they played. And, and when you see them do that, to me, that lets you know that this team from a schematic standpoint is really trying to do the best they can to do what I think the team needs to continue to do. That's run the football. Roosevelt Knicks was a fullback in the mix. Oh, I rhymed on that one. That was one one for you right there, Nick. Nipsey uh, Russell, I like it. <laughs> Roosevelt Knicks was in the mix. Um, when you see that from the Steelers, that's the old school way of playing football. And to me, that's the kind of football I think you're going to need from them. Maybe having two tight ends, maybe one receiver, a fullback in the play, Uh, maybe having a fullback along with a tight end and two receivers and put them in that slot position to make them have to honor the running game. Because you know, Uh, Nick Ferguson, anytime you see a fullback in the game in front of of an explosive runner like a Le'Veon Bell, what's the first thing coming to mind? A run, correct? Exactly. Naturally, what you do, you come back, you do play, action, pass. Then you have uh, Antonio Brown as well as Martavis, Bryant, and company sitting there in the slot position having probably some form of man coverage or someone out of position to allow them to come open and make plays. So I thought this was a great game plan by Todd Haley and that team. They played really well. They played hard. I mean, you saw some interceptions that were capable of being made, but what they end up doing, Antonio Brown end up catching a football, end up taking it to the house uh, for a touchdown. A couple plays they made early on, two-point conversion, interception to the end zone, and also A.B., a touchdown off of a tip pass that put them in. Those are the type of big plays you need going on the road, especially in an environment like Arrowhead where this team was undefeated. But you know what? A close game. I think that's a reality check for, for the Kansas City Chiefs. They're not out of it. We just saw the Chargers kick a winning field goal there in Oakland to put them up 17-16 to 16 to win that game against the Oakland Raiders. We had a chance to see that. So a lot of great football. We're waiting to see this Denver Broncos team get an opportunity to play their game that they're going to have coming up pretty soon here. Uh, but right now I think these are two teams in the division, or matter of fact, in the conference, along with the New England Patriots team that we saw play, a very tough game, and they end up coming away with the victory. Uh, it's going to be pretty interesting, guys. Remember, the month of October and November is the placement time for your division and also in the conference. December is when you pretty much, you know, nail the dagger inside of everything that you're trying to get accomplished to seal the deal. But that type of football we saw from Kansas City and Pittsburgh today is the type of football we can really see. Oh, how about Mitchell Trubisky goes on the road to beat the Baltimore Ravens Another great game, guys. So it was Atlanta losing the last minute of the game against the Miami Dolphins. I told you, Brian, this team cannot finish. So great football all day long. Excited about it. Uh, Pittsburgh still lost. But Adrian Peterson, we have to give mad kudos to him and Coach Bruce Arians to really stick into it. In the first half, what did he have? 86 yards rushing as opposed to the Saints giving him four games for 81 yards rushing. Pretty darn good by this team in Arizona Cardinals to bring this man in because can, this can keep going. The physicality that they brought to the table today, that's the type of football I think that can help them get back on track to being one of the teams that needs to be talked about within NFC West.
4: Cordell, you you hinted on the game that's coming up shortly here on uh, NBC between the Denver Broncos and the New York Giants, and we know how Eli Manning has struggled uh, over the season. Uh, They haven't won a game. The running game hasn't been on track. You, you lose a bevy of wide receivers. If you are Eli Manning, being as though you play the position, how do you walk into Denver facing the no-fly zone and, and have your mind ready to go to even contemplate even coming out of there with the W? Put your seatbelt on and be prepared for the oxygen to come from the top because that's what's going to happen. You know when
8: you're on an airplane, they tell you to put your seatbelt on. If there's turbulence and something happens and you have an issue, you to grab the bag from behind the seat in front of you to let it out or you be prepared for the actual cup to come down to breathe through to get a little oxygen. Because literally that's what's going to take place for this football team. When you talk about that defense and how fast they run and how explosive they are, uh, that's something that I know because you were a part of that that life there in Denver at some point in time and just being a part of defenses. You know when they have that feast or famine mentality. you got guys coming off the edge. The front four is really putting up the pressure they need to put up. Um It really puts you in position as a secondary player, whether you're on regular downs, as a corner or safety, or even on third down as a nickel or dime back that comes in. You know for sure the front four can apply the pressure. It really makes you guys' life easy in the backfield. One thing we saw from Arizona, to allow all that stuff to take place the way it did today for them, they needed to run the football. The question is, can the Giants force the Denver Broncos to become a little uncomfortable with what they want to do from a feast-of-famine standpoint to take some of the pressure off of Eli Manning so he can do something that we know that he hadn't been able to do as of lately. you got two guys who are out for the year, Brandon Marshall, Odell Beckham. You have Sterling Shepard, who is allegedly coming in, and hopefully he can play throughout the game. But yet Paul Perkins and company in this defense is going to really have to step up, and a few scout team receivers that are stepping up to the occasion are really going to have to step up. and and handle their business because, I tell you, it's going to be tough sledding for them because this Denver Broncos team pretty much figuratively smells a little blood, and we have to assume um, that they're going to come out swinging and trying to do the best they can to confuse them a little bit more, maybe create some turnovers, cause Eli to become a little gun-shy when it comes to being in the pocket, and make them one-dimensional, which is not being able to do nothing at all. So this is going to be a great game there, I think, in a mile-high And I'm looking forward to seeing it and uh, to see how they respond to all the adversity that's taking place for them with the Giants football team.
2: We are dissecting the top stories with Cordell Stewart here on the NFL on TuneIn. Cordell, according to reports, Colin Kaepernick has retained an attorney and he's going to have the support of the NFLPA filing a collusion grievance against the NFL. Just factor that into this question with Aaron Rodgers now out presumably for the rest of the year with the broken collarbone on his throwing shoulder. If you were running the Packers, are you riding with Brett Hundley or are you giving Colin Kaepernick a call?
8: Well, you go ahead and keep Hundley in the mix because, again, it, 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 fall, it boils down to this. All right, uh, Brett Hundley has been around with that football team for how long? For three years now. So they know who he is. We're talking about a very conservative community up there in Green Bay when you talk about the Packers. Now you bring that energy there. Again, it's always what I talk about. Is does he have the skill set to make it work, to play on someone's roster? The answer is yes. The perception, the perception of the owner and how does this person fit on my team, that now becomes the second question and the most important one. And that is what it's going to boil down to for someone like Colin Kaepernick to go somewhere like the Green Bay Packers, to have to go in and be a part of that team throughout the year. Is it a good fit? Not every place in the National Football League, because of injuries, means that Colin Kaepernick is going to be a good fit. It still goes back to X's and O's. X's and O's for a scheme is concerned, execution and situational football. Does he fit the bill with what we try to do on offense from a standpoint of what it is he does as a player? Does it fit? That's more important to me with Colin Kaepernick coming to any team in the National Football League and anything he has going on with him when it comes to attorney and his stance politically outside of the game of football. And that's what truly matters most right now when it's all said done and in for me, for Colin Kaepernick. I don't think he fits with the Green Bay Packers. But Cordell, I don't think that's a good fit for him.
4: Cordell, I mean, Brent Huntley is the only quarterback on the Packers roster. Right now, where do you go from there? If you start him... You have to bring in someone to back him up. Well, and, they'll bring Joe leave.
2: Thomas off the practice squad, but I think the larger question is, Cordell and, and Nick and I were talking about this earlier. If you're thinking about scenarios and what did we lay out on no huddle? If Kaepernick mm-hmm. was going to get a chance, presumably it was a playoff-contending team losing a marquee starter. Isn't that Green Bay? You 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 would like to say if it, if
8: it fits, if that's the bill in, in the in the uh, blueprint that we're going off of, sure, all day long. But it's still again. You know, sometimes organizations, and and I think we all can attest to this, they'll sacrifice bringing someone in that you know can fit on the team, not bring them in because of maybe some of the stuff that comes to the table. We're not talking about a a defensive player where sometimes those guys get second chances or secondary players where those guys get chances or maybe even receivers. Those guys see, you're talking about the quarterback position and that dynamic It's a little different than other positions. Again, the temperament of the city, the temperament of the locker room, the temperament of the coaching staff has to be able to fit well enough to allow that energy to come into your locker room. I'm not saying he can't play in the National Football League. I am just trying to say what's the better fit for him. From a circumstance standpoint, you guys are 110% correct. They need someone that can come in and actually play and maybe get on the football field It may help make a difference if the number is called for him to step on the field right now with his collective experience and bring that to the table with what his skill set says he's able to do and be able to get on the team and play. Can the coaching staff, can the players, can the community – I mean, you saw uh, when they actually had the stands uh, for the National Anthem. I think it was last Sunday or Sunday before last. You know, while some people – you know, you had – Aaron Rodgers saying he hoped everyone joined together. Well, there were some people that were joining together at the arms, and some weren't. And so you still have the mixed crowd of people that's going to have a chance to respond to that again still that are diehards when it comes down to standing for the National Anthem, diehards for those who are against standing. And regardless of what the narrative is for those individual players, the bigger picture narrative is, most are saying you're against the military and you're against the flame, which, which we all know is not true. So do you want that mixed energy to come into that locker room and on that team to where the chemistry is already what it is? Now you bring that adverse energy into a locker room. You have to make sure the guys and the temperament, coaches, players, as well as maybe even a community, is somewhat open-minded to allow it to happen. And to me, as a blue, from a blue-collar standpoint, that city, being the way they are, to me, just to me now, I don't know for sure if they're ready to bring that in there at this moment in time.
2: I can tell you this with certainty. Tony Romo's not leaving the booth. He's having too much fun, just like you have with me, I hope, every day on NFL No Huddle. Have a good night, Cordell. We'll do it again tomorrow for Eastern, heading around the league.
8: Hey, man, one time for AP. Great game for that guy today, right? Great game, guys. So talk to you tomorrow, Brian. Be good. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
6: Goodbye, Cordell.
0: Bye bye. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this.
6: Today's newest stars. Stop by tune in first for intimate one-on-one interviews. Considered one of the best producers in hip hop, Alchemist along with Budgie talk about music and life. You know, and it's also about being a people person. Budgie's one of the coolest people I know. Like that goes a long way too. You some of the most creative people. They're just like not cool to be with. Sometimes it makes not for a great conversation or hang. It's conversation where you can hear your favorite artists exclusively on TuneIn.
0: This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on
2: NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now Nick and I visit with our TuneIn colleagues from Star Talk. Now it's time for the first and goal, playing with Science Checkdown. We are pleased to be joined by the broadcast troika from that program, it's Gary O'Reilly, Chuck Nice, and Eric Goff, who's a physics professor at Lynchburg College in Virginia, with a reminder you can catch every new episode of Playing with Science and the entire Star Talk lineup one week early only on TuneIn. Chuck, give us an overview of the program.
7: Guys,
1: first of all, thanks for having us on. And uh, before I even tell you guys who are listening what playing with science is about, let me first offer thoughts and prayers to everybody in Green Bay for your loss, because as a huge diehard Eagles fan my entire life, I actually appreciated Green Bay because they allowed our greatest defensive player to go there and get a ring, something he would never be able to do in Philadelphia. Um but uh, Playing With Science is a sports and science mashup uh, podcast where we take iconic plays in sports, and it doesn't make a difference what the sport is, including uh, football, especially this time of year, and we break down the science, mostly physics, that's involved in that sport. Uh, and Gary, who is on the line, is uh, the other host of the show. Gary, what's happening, my friend? Oh, good, Chuck. Hi, guys. Pleasure to be on board. Uh, And and Eric Goff, who is, as you said, professor at Lynchburg uh, College, is a uh, a, a physicist, and he actually gives us some fascinating facts about the sports that we are uh, talking about on the show. Eric, how are you, buddy?
9: Doing great, Chuck. How are you and Gary?
1: Yeah, doing well. So, uh, Brian and Nick, that's kind of an overview of the show, and we've had everybody from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to uh, uh, Santonio Holmes to uh, John Urschel, you, you, I mean, just so many great players. We've had uh, O.C. eumann we've had, like, these wonderful players come on, and oddly enough, it's really refreshing to see so many professional athletes that are into science, and there's so much science that is involved in sports that, you know, we think we got a really unique and, um, and fun show
2: to listen to. All right, tremendous overview. And, Chuck, I got the Reggie White illusion. Well played there. <laughs> I got into broadcasting because I was told there'd be no math involved. Fellas, take us through the science.
1: Oh, man, it was such a great play. And uh, I don't know, Eric, why don't you uh, go ahead and break down the play? But before we do that, let me just ask uh, Nick. Are, are you there, buddy? I'm here. Okay, as a former safety. The tackling on this play had to make you vomit.
4: Well, well, yes, it did. And and that's why I'm glad that we're talking to you guys because Golden Tate has done things like this before as a member of the Detroit Lions and the Seattle Seahawks. So I kind of defer back to you guys watching the defenders bounce off of Golden Tate. I mean, what kind of sports science is involved with the spin move, the rotation, and the stiff arm? First of all, guys,
1: The Saints defense is invisible. This is a new trick. (laughs) Absolutely brand new off-the-shelf new trick. Professor, all yours, my friend.
9: So Stafford's going to go back, and he's going to throw this ball at about 54 miles an hour. It's going to hit Tate, and he's going to be down on the right sideline. He's got a defender on him. Looks like uh, Ken Crawley for the uh, Saints is on him. And what... Tate does that's uh, absolutely uh, great on a physics viewpoint. He's low to the ground. He's only about 5'10", anyway, but he's got his feet apart. He's got a low center of gravity, and Crawley comes in way too high for the tackle, and you'll notice that uh, when you watch the play that Tate will move uh, away from the end zone a little bit, and then he turns around. He's going to start running down the the right sideline, He gets up to a speed of about 15 miles an hour down the sideline, and he's got a couple of safeties coming at him. He's got rookie Marcus Williams coming at him, and he's got Raphael Bush coming at him. And Bush actually got screened by Williams on the play, and Williams had the best angle, but unfortunately he let uh, Tate run right by him. (laughs) So then it was down to Bush to, uh, to chase down Tate, and about the 15-yard line, you're going to see Bush catching Tate. But, again, he's too high, and uh, Nick will be able to tell you you're not going to come in that high on a, on a wide receiver and make a good tackle. He's coming in too high, and Tate makes a great rotation at that point uh, to get away from the tackle. And the next thing he's going to do is go upside down into the end zone.
2: And, Professor, how about the physics of that flip? The Ukrainian judge gave him a 9-8 as he stuck the landing.
9: (laughs) Well, that's pretty good for a Ukrainian judge. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that's a fantastic leap that he did into the end zone. He he took off um, just a few yards outside the end zone at about 14 miles an hour. Uh, He launched at nearly 30 degrees. Uh, He... The end zone, the, end, the plane of the end zone, upside down. He was going about 12 miles an hour at that point. Um, and his rotation rate uh, was about uh, 60 RPMs. So he was. So, just to uh, give us uh, an idea
1: <laughs> of that rotation rate, what, like, uh, compare that to maybe like a, a high diver when you see as many times as they're flipping, like they normally get about two or three uh, before they hit the water. What, how does that compare to something like that?
9: Yeah, the, the diver in a, in a nice tuck ball position has about three rotations in a second and a half, so that's about twice what Tate's rotational speed was. Um, I also like looking at an ice skater when, when she gets to her final spin. That's about three uh,
2: times Tate's rotational speed. So that's an overview hey, of what's professor, coming
6: professor.
2: up. Yes, hey, Gary, you oh, want please. to finish your thought there? I'll get out of the way.
6: Oh, no, no. What happens
1: if Golden Tate does this in space? Does he stop spinning? I missed Gary's comment. I what missed was it. That? I missed it completely, Gary. I'm sorry. Okay. What happens in space if Golden Tate does this forward flip? Does he ever stop spinning?
0: Oh, oh
9: he certainly so stops spinning. If you were in he space, the, Eric, is he did about uh, Gary three is quarter rotation uh, the
0: And, and,
1: and, and, the and, and, the and, and what would that look that like? Uh, and exactly how long would that last, even though I know.
2: So I think we have the sense uh, of what's the sound of one hand clapping as well? Yeah. Fellas, <laughs> thank you for the overview. A reminder you can catch every new episode of Playing with Science, the entire Star Talk lineup, one week early only on TuneIn. Guys, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank you for the visit.
1: Thank you, guys. Pleasure. Thank
0: you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast,
6: and we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, it's Anthony Valadez. We have a new music channel exclusively on TuneIn indie it's home for the emerging and boundary-pushing artists. From soul to electronic, folk to world sounds, hip hop to jazz, music should inspire you. It should challenge you and make you feel some sort of way. All hand-picked gems from the likes of Nick Hakim. The bands that are featured on the record are all bands that I play. What's next? British sensation Jaybird stopped by for a live session and a performance of her single, Cathedral. Latin alternative breakout artist H.L. stopped by to discuss his inspiration. There's been many phases in my life now since Harlem, but it definitely pushes me. And then going downtown, you can't get in a club, you know, you're outside and then you see like Kid Cudi going inside, you know. Just seeing all that being right next to you, people rubbing shoulders, knowing that it's possible. It's all encouraging. From the record bins to the blogosphere and into your ears, it's IndieClectic, heard exclusively on TuneIn.
0: Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we
2: close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's celebrate individual achievement with Nick's Picks.
0: You're listening to NFL First and Goal on TuneIn. It's time for Nick's Picks.
4: Like fluffy white clouds floating in the sky, you can watch my passes as they cruise on by. Kirk Cousins showcases his talent to an organization that he could soon call home in the near future 25-37, 330 yards, two touchdowns, one interception as the Washington Redskins. They're able to hold off the 49ers. It will hit you from out of the blue, making all your fantasy numbers come true. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just AP. Adrian Peterson, 26 carries, 134 yards, two touchdowns, proving – that an old dog still has some tricks up his sleeves. Can you say fresh legs? The wheels on the bus go round and round. When you roll with me, no need to worry about your stats going up and down because I am the bell cow you need. That's right, Le'Veon Bell, 32 carries, 184 yards, and one touchdown. Good night, Bears. Good night, Chairs. Good night, Stars. Good night, air. Good night noise everywhere. That means the critics, too. Carson Palmer, 18 of 21, 283 yards, three touchdowns showing that he's not done yet and he will not go quietly into that good night. That's the late edition of Nick's Picks.